Yeah, there we go. All right. Now, the first issue that we need to address is that both of us are called Kieran. Uh, <laughs> Assuming this is going out to the listeners, I'm down as Kieran M in the call, and he's down as Kieran. So he's technically the real one right now. I'm the imposter. Yeah, yeah, I'm Kieran. You will be Kieran Ella. Uh, so, do you have that in? Uh, okay, so like, um, I went to I went to I went to school in a lot of different a lot of different places. Uh, I moved around in Ireland a lot, and. There was a couple of times when I would be in a class with, like, there'd be one other Kieran. I think I was in school in Limerick once where there were, like, three Seans and two Davids. And there was a real there was a real problem when teachers would decide which of the, like, seven-year-old kids would be, like, Sean and then the other one would be Sean Ella. And I'm just like, that feels mean. You've, like, you've single. It's like, who's your favorite? Yeah, which one is Sean Brackett's other? <laughs> it is funny though, because like college is like the first time I've been in a position where I'm in a friend group where I'm not like in a friend group with someone else with my name. Like in co- like, like even in secondary school, like I think I had like three other Kierons that I was friends with. So I was like Kieron Ella Ella Ella, which is like a bit of a downgrade. Oh, no. you know? <laughs> Can't be having that. <laughs> the only fair system is like Kieron one and Kieron A. Like, um. All right, Jesus. Um, do I? Do I? Do I? I'm remembering how to podcast. Originally, here on little little peek behind the curtain, I was originally planning on doing three episodes uh, uh, today, but the first one got cancelled. So now I'm only doing two episodes today. So you better be. Yeah, I better be honest. Yeah. Uh, I was expecting to come into this this call talking about minority language rights and, and the such after a lengthy conversation about union organizing in Denmark. But, um, I guess I just forget all of that now. I can't tell uh, which one is like more depressing or which one's more uplifting. Like, they're both kind of like bleak topics. So like one after yeah. the other would have killed you, like surely. You know, that's actually the real struggle of trying to make two episodes a week. It's not getting massively depressed. <laughs> <laughs> like what we're talking about. I think we balance it out by talking about like Netflix Christmas films. Um... Oh, I'm so sad I missed them. Yeah, you were so <laughs> sick. Also, everyone oh, I got surgery. <laughs> yeah, I you were, yeah. just, like, my appendix decided to you got to, Okay, you got surgery and then apologized in the group chat for not being able to make the recording. <laughs> so I was like, you had surgery. In the hospital bed, like, I'm really sorry I can't attend the fifth recording of this week, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know how I like. I, how I cancelled on Nick because yeah. Nick was supposed to come over on the Friday to like watch the movies yeah. at, at my place uh, to get, and then I got the surgery on Thursday, so I just like sent him a message like, "I think I have to cancel tomorrow." I think I'm I in have the to hospital. Can- <laughs> and it was like, "What the fuck? <laughs> what?" And, yeah. Oh God. Oh. Um, also, anyway, you should go on the camera for a bit to introduce yourself yeah, to our guest. Sorry, I was just. <laughs> Hi, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so awkward and we're just like pressed against each other. <laughs> a very large studio. <laughs> what for the property market crisis? Hey, hey, hey. It is your weekly corner, Spady. It is me, Kieran, and I'm joined by Uma. Hi. And we're joined by a very special guest, Kieran Makadabui. How you guys you doing? You know? How are things? The other, the other Kieran. <laughs> no, no, this is important because most of our listenership are Americans and Germans who, like, as as my friend Rob from Massachusetts, you know, the home of Irish Americans, 
would tell me if I came in to Boston with the name Kieran, they beat me up for being a gay Italian. Like they, they've never encountered this name. <laughs> like it's really funny though. Like I remember, even as a child, when I was talking to Americans, they'd always pronounce it like Ciaran or whatever, and they come yeah. out with these really exotic pronunciations. And it's like maybe we're just messing with the perception of the Americans. Maybe they think this is like the most common name in Ireland now. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we've done it. Yeah, through like covert media ops of having a podcast. <laughs> I'm convinced. The worst thing you can do, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and there just needs to be like. No, because like there, there are the Irish American. There's the Irish names that have like exported successfully, and I think they are pretty much. If you speak English as your native language, is this easy to pronounce? For, no, literally. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Like, for example, the most popular name in like two German states last year for boys was Finn. And no way. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like Germans calling their their son Finn, and it's from I'm pretty sure Stranger Things. It was was oh, one of the kids called oh, Finn in that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, is it Finn also a, I don't know, I think they named, like, my boyfriend is called Finn, not mm. because of Stranger Things, that would no. be weird. <laughs> <laughs> that would be illegal. <laughs> I'm dating a six-year-old, Gary. <laughs> it's, it's like because of Finn McCool. Like, is, it, is that a name? No. Yeah, like, that's a mythological figure, yes. right? And Am I remembering this correctly? Apparently it's also a German name, so their parents, like, you know, half German, half Irish, they were like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Isn't that, that's the that's the really common like that happens all the time with um, all the all the people who come from like the part of Germany that has like all the Japanese companies in it, like Essen and stuff. Mm-hmm. All the the German Japanese babies get called Kai because oh, it's a yeah. name that works in both languages. True. Um, um, anyway, <laughs> anyway, we're not talking about um, I guess name race science. Uh, we're talking. About <laughs> Uh, um, we're talking about the Irish language okay, sorry I just remembered I get Charon here more often because people think I'm Italian like based on the name they'll think it's Italian and we'll go like Charon uh, um, anyway yeah. that makes no sense like sorry not to no the C-I like, like Chow uh, I guess yeah, you, you guess <laughs> that sure. is how Italian works no I know, <laughs> I know but like that is definitely not a name that would be like, yes, that is Italian, you know. Mm. Maybe because I'm from the south of Europe and I'm like, I know. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, you've met more Italians and none of them yeah. were called Sharon, yeah, surprisingly. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, I had Karen on, uh, I invited you on because I listened to the episode of Rupture Radio where you are interviewed and read the article that you were being interviewed about which is Taga uh, Lekniv, uh, which is action is necessary uh, or action is needed. Is that that's fair? There's a need for action if you want to be very literal with it, but you're close enough. Yeah, yeah. There's a need for action. Uh, um, and it is about the state of the Irish language. And I want to have you on, also with Uma, to talk about uh, minority language rights uh, mm-hmm. um, throughout Europe, but I guess particularly focusing on Irish. Um and also just like, it, no matter where you are listening to this in Europe, um, chances are your country has about 12 languages spoken in it that you've never heard of. Uh, <laughs> like I, I did look at the giant like UN endangered languages map and it's just like about 2,000 or so in the world. And I'm like, oh, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and uh, um, I did kind of want to 
go on to this first point that you had uh, in the article where you kind of like outline capitalism's effect on language, uh, uh, positioning it as, as this incredibly like utilitarian tool of like how many people can I speak to uh, with this language? Um, I, I didn't want to mention the phenomenon that I don't think I, I've heard you mention of like the period in August when there's nothing for journalists to write about because nothing is happening. There's no like no big sports events happening in August, that kind of thing. Governments are usually on break or some sort of summer holidays or whatever. Um, you will guaranteedly in about two nas- two newspapers per country get like we should all learn Chinese uh, uh, articles um, through this very kind of like similar language only has utilitarian function mm-hmm. kind of thing. And um, good luck teaching your seven-year-old Chinese <laughs> when you also don't speak it. Um, but yeah, I, I just wonder if you could uh, uh, um, kind of like talk about that because you did highlight these things about like minority languages being viewed as like the pursuit of cranks or uh, um, being a burden, I think is how you kind of like phrase it as like one of the two outlooks on that. What if you could expand a little bit? Perfect. So again, like amazingly for our listeners, for some reason this year, like the period of like bad articles in the Irish language has started like in the last few weeks. Cause again, like I think it was the Irish independent that started it first with like one of their columnists going on about how like us losing Irish was actually this amazing thing because now we have the English language, which makes us like in the like great in the EU, which is a bit insane. And then there was another piece coming out quite recently arguing that like we should remove the requirement for like secondary school teachers to study Irish at higher level in like the interests of diversity. And I think that kind of shows like the very weird relationship that like neoliberal capitalism and kind of I think the Irish state specifically and the Irish ruling class share with minority languages they're viewed in this very unscientific very reductionist lens it's kind of like kind of mirroring what I've said in the past I think languages get reduced down to the bare minimum it is solely about communication and trade and anything beyond that is seen as like just like the sole expanse of just kind of weirdos and just like people who are a pain in the ass essentially and again there's just this very monolingual perception of the world it's very drab there's kind of this monoculture energy where it's like languages are solely external there's no internal element and like to learn a language is just to reach more people and if you can already reach someone why would you bother learning a minority language and i think what's kind of most interesting about this view of languages under capitalism and like the view that like the irish ruling class specifically hold is just how quickly it falls apart because again it seems like it's based on this kind of like false series of like truisms that we're constantly exposed to and that fall apart very quickly. Like again, it doesn't make sense that us being monolingual is beneficial. It doesn't make sense that you can't learn two languages. It doesn't make sense that like the Irish language is a barrier to diversity. It doesn't make sense that just speaking English would be more diverse. It's illogical. It's a very cynical view of things. And I think it's a view that's kind of driven by economics. And I think it's a view that like, you can only really understand if you view it through a political lens. Because again, some of it might be personal. There might just be some cranks in the independent who just have bad opinions. But I think in general, under our economic system, an Ireland that has its own kind of, like an Ireland that has its own kind of intellectual independence would be a barrier to kind of free trade, free trade and kind of our place as like an in-between country. And it would make things harder. It would make things harder for like young people to leave en masse. It would make things harder for us to kind of integrate ourselves into kind of like global capitalism and it would kind of get in the way of just building hotels and just becoming kind of an in-between country <laughs> i do like that vision of just like there's just like one a gale board just being spoke, like standing in the middle of like broken foundations just be like 
you can't build the hotel, fucking Dottie's down there again. He won't <laughs> let us. He's just staying still, speaking That's awesome. We can't build a new juries in or whatever. Um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting. Like some of the arguments that you you kind of listed as like these arguments against it have been there since I was I was a wee one. Um, the the new one that feels incredibly cynical is the whole diversity argument. The 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 point of view that like, for example, people of color, people of foreign background couldn't speak the Irish. Um, which is not true and mm -hmm. has been proven by a handful of radio DJs in Ireland who are like speaking in Irish and stuff and are uh, um, of Nigerian background and things like this. Um, but like, I do remember the whole, like we would be lost on the global stage if we spoke Irish. And I do kind of remember that illusion being very specifically shattered in like 2004 when like countries like Estonia joined the EU and they're just like, Oh, they all just have perfect English anyway, and they get to speak their own language that no one fucking speaks except for them, kind of thing. As like, and they invented Skype. So I don't really see the like how this would be a barrier type of thing. Um, it is. It is just very. It's upsetting. Um, I think the argument of like caring about Irish makes you kind of a crank, or like specifically the, the way I've always heard it, or the way I've always heard that kind of like been thrown around is if you ever want to be like outspoken about the state of the Irish language or like how revitalization efforts are going, then you're the crank. Like you're allowed to be kind of what we're doing currently is fine or good. You're allowed to have that opinion about the Irish language, but any advocacy for change or action kind of makes you a bit of a, bit of a crank. Stop rocking the boat. We're doing, we're doing okay. Ish. <laughs> is the, is the, Often how I, I think the craziest thing as well, sorry to butt in, is just that like like the barrier to entry to being a crank in the eyes of the state is like really low. Like we ha like it like Irish people have a legal like the legal right to like request services through Irish. So just doing a thing that is literally in our laws is a thing you can do, and I think that's constitutionally protected is seen as like crank shit. It's like the bare minimum, and like it's really absurd in some ways as well. Like I remember earlier this year, I think it was the editor of Nose which is an Irish language, like news, like newspaper. He was just out in Dublin and he tried speaking to a Garda in Irish and the Garda just responded by like, just treating him horrifically as a result. It's literally the bare minimum to ask the people of your state to talk to you in your own language. But for some reason in Ireland, that scene is like this insane crank demand that's like disconnected from reality. Yes, yeah. That kind of reminds me of as well. In Catalonia, that definitely happens as mm. well. When, even though, you know, Catalan is literally our official language. Like, yes. At least it is, it is a bit more protected than Irish, I feel like. And, you know, you can get treated really badly just for talking to someone in Catan or as you said, like to the police. Like yeah. a lot of the police are Spanish-speaking people or they literally just come from other parts of Spain. Mm. So if you go up to them and, you know, it's a Spanish-speaking policeman, you can get in trouble as well. Like you can get treated really badly and then they can be like you know speak spanish to spain why are you speaking Catalan yeah. to me da, 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 da. like well you, you do live in catalonia <laughs> like you know because <laughs> that's a that is a that is like one point of contrast because it's like it's it's spain it's also like canada to a respect like the the minority language like regionalism thing of mm -hmm. just like yeah everyone in ireland in theory, 
Irish education is mandatory. We're meant to have a baseline service. As you said, constitutionally protected, that government service should provide Irish. Um, but Spain's answer to that is like, yes, but only in this in one corner. Yeah, yeah, one, yeah, this just one little stay corner. in your lane. You know? um, <laughs> just stay there. Because like the, convert, like the converse of that, I don't think would happen. Like in Ireland, if you went to a Gardaí in the Gwail talked and spoke Irish, I don't think you would get that level of contempt that you're talking about. Okay. But like, yeah, the, the problem with Spain is that it turns out Barcelona is a city people want to move to from other parts yeah, of Spain. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like it, yeah. it started falling apart. Yeah. Also, there's kind of like this debate now, like a lot of Spanish uh, people complain that, you know, some degrees at university or like masters are in, in Catalonia are mm. only in Catalan. Yeah. The thing is, like, for example, master's degrees in Catalan, there's like one or two. Like, there's very, like, there's not that many options. And then comes someone yeah. being like, Joey Extra How dare they? Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> like, being like, How dare these Catalans have like masters in Catalan? Why do I have to learn Catalan? It's like, dude, you have like a hundred other masters to choose from, like, you wouldn't complain if there was an English master, right? Like, an English-speaking yeah. master, you would be like, oh, my God, bilingualism, love it, like, so international. Yeah. And then you complain about the one master in Catalan, and we're supposed to be the cranks, like... Yeah, yeah, no, you are. <laughs> <laughs> You're evil for making Joey Extremadura do his very specific course in the, in the, in the vernacular that, language. Like, yeah, yeah, just yeah. saying you're saying that what you want. It's not as if if the lecturer just spoke kind of slower, he would probably understand it anyway. Oh, like, exactly. Like. Um, yeah, oh my god. Anyway, diverting <laughs> a little bit. Yes. Uh, uh, it is funny, I, I think, though, like, the, like how like cranky some of the people who are against minority languages are. Like, this is one of my worst habits, but I love just like browsing the Twitters of like people who hate Scots Gaelic, especially when they're oh, talking yeah. about lines. Because like the argument they have is like so beautifully deranged, where it's like if there's another language on the sign, I am too dumb and I will drive into a wall and die. It's like that's genuinely their whole argument, and like they're taken seriously. It's like this insane thing where it's like. It's insane that we're considered the cranks for just speaking a language while people who are like, if I see another language, I will literally crash my car are seen as like the norm and like the establishment, yeah. I guess. It's like the whole thing of like Republicans being like, oh, you liberal snowflakes. And then they're the ones getting triggered and everything. Like that's just kind of... <laughs> I mean, yeah. So I did have to like, I did when I moved to Germany where like road signs are in only one language, German. I did have to like train my eye to not immediately go to like the bottom half of the sign because like when you're in Ireland, if you speak English, you're just like, but just go down to there. That's the, that's the part I need. Uh, um, but then I'm like not going to go on Twitter or write a column about how I've survived trauma or something from <laughs> having to slightly adjust which part of the sign I read. Um, yeah, it's it's it is just madness. But like, if you also look into it, people complain about this in like Belgium where, like, the two languages on the sign have, like, an equal population of speakers and <laughs> equal prominence and stuff. It's not, like, not even a minority language. It's, like, like it's, like, 50-50 almost. Uh, um, so, like, people are just cranks about this shit. The, the interesting thing I wanted to, to talk to you about is actually media coverage of the Irish language. Because I've personally never been able to, like, vocalize... Uh, um, exactly like what happens there with like 
obviously, like English speaking Irish media talking about the Irish language, um, other than the fact that I kind of get, I, I kind of get it's being talked down to. I kind of get this like tone of condensation. Wait, no, hang on, condensation. Never mind. <laughs> A condescending attitude uh, and not the, the mist on the window because uh, I'm cooking pasta. Um, but like, yeah, so. I'm just kind of wondering if you you have better examples of this other than like, because I was definitely a teenager growing up. I was very resentful of having to learn Irish. And then once I left school, I started to miss it. (laughs) So it is, I'm just kind of curious about like what you've seen and what does that look like for people who haven't experienced Irish TV and media and such. It's a very weird relationship and it's like one you could go on about for ages and like it's something I do think about a lot because like to some extent yeah. I do wonder whether I started learning Irish just out of spite from the amount of like anti-Irish stuff I was just seeing <laughs> in the media. Like, I'm just a very grumpy person but like when you look at like perceptions of like Irish speakers it is that view of them being cranks and like there was this amazing blog post done a few years ago I can't believe who, I can't remember who did it but it was just listing some of the stuff said in the Irish Independent about Irish speakers where it was like oh geez, they're all like Nazis they're all communists they're all Stalinists and all these really contradictory things they're just throwing everything and it's weird because it's this very cyclical thing as you pointed out it's every year and it's in this very similar pattern where it's like oh the Irish language is not being spoken there's no new words coming out it's lost in the past it's good that we lost it it's good that we're kind of English speaking it's good that we're speaking Shakespeare's language etc etc it's kind of the same tropes over and over and over from like some of the like just the biggest cranks in the world really like again it's hard to understate just how insane the Irish language media is and like for the Americans listening in just like look at Owen Harris's Wikipedia page please like that'll just expand this for you you know but like yeah like even something i've noticed is that like a lot of the times like if they're not like if there isn't a hostile depiction of the language there's just silence and i think there's a lot of silence around the things that are going on in the irish language in ireland and like something i realized as a learner was just oh wow there's so much stuff going on that i would not have realized if i wasn't in these social circles because like you look at things like for example our national book awards i think we have like the, if you look at the on post book awards like they have a section for irish but they've never actually put an irish language book in the like in contention for the big award like irish language literature is seen as kind of existing but no one pays attention to you don't hear about it in the newspapers it's seen as kind of its own separate thing cut off from kind of the yeah, rest the, of the country the, the foreign film uh, best foreign film oscar award basically in, in like the oscars is like i guess other countries make movies too it's continual thing really in some ways where like it's just not paid attention to. And because a lot of people in Ireland, for better or for worse, do have some distance with the language, because it is kind of not given a platform in some ways, and because it is hidden in plain sight, you do have a lot of people who don't realize how much is going on. And like, even just in practical terms, like I would not have realized two years ago when I started learning Irish, I'd be able to like read Trotsky and stuff in Irish. I didn't think that was a thing that was happening. Obviously that's like a very specific example, but like there is, (laughs) there are scenes there that are just being ignored. And like, it's, it is that condescension that you mentioned. And like, I don't really know what the root causes of it are. Like my pet theory is that there's like two kind of sections of the Irish kind of upper middle class or ruling class. Like you have your kind of like a Fianna Fáil section for lack of a way to term it, who are like kind of pro the language, but they're not really pro the language beyond a very ceremonial thing. And their view of the language yeah. is very kind of, 
I wouldn't say elitist is the correct word, but it's very kind of classist in nature. If you look at like what, for like just looking back at Fianna Fáil, for example, like they basically said to the poorer schools in the country, oh, you guys, you, you guys don't have to focus on Irish, just focus in on the practical subjects while they, in their own schools for the ruling class, focus in on the language very strongly. And there's this weird ownership yeah. thing where they want to kind of like have it as their own thing and have it as a background noise to prove their Irishness. It looks like Latin for a lot of like yeah. ascendancies in other countries kind of thing, almost of just like... It's this uh, uh, almost ecclesiastical or scholarly language that isn't for the poppers or whatever. They all have Definitely. to be. And like, I think as well, it was of a specific time as well. I think that time has passed a little bit. Because when you look at like the rhetoric surrounding the language after like the 60s and the 70s, we've seen this push towards what I'm going to have to refer to as the Fine Gael section of our ruling class, who are just against the language, who are just kind of, who view it as a, ba- like, they just view it as being backwards and of the past and irrelevant. And like, I think if you look at like the Irish media, it does represent a very specific class of people. And that specific class of people just tend to be cranks on this question. So you get this weird disproportionate relationship where like if you look at the raw figures like the majority of people are sympathetic towards the language they may not be exposed to it they may not have it but like they have sympathy but you would not guess that if you opened the Irish Independent you would think things were a lot more stark than they actually are yeah like the the debate about not making it a mandatory subject I feel like comes up quite often like considering polling seems to suggest the entire population is in favour of at least keeping it mandatory Uh, um yeah, so it's or at least from what I've seen, um, I do I do like your Finnafall Finnegale kind of dichotomy though because it does I think also map a little bit onto two thousand and eight of like the like Finnafall ruling before two thousand and eight and kind of being like oh yes it's a pursuit it's a flight of fancy have have fun with it if you're sufficiently comfortable in middle class you can pursue it if you want and then you cut into like. 2008, end of Kenny, like we all live in Leo's world now, kind of like austerity of just like, no, stop wasting time, go work for Google, fuck you, goddammit, <laughs> make the money, put more money onto the Apple barge <laughs> like that you won't have access to. Um, so like, yeah, it does, it does have like a, a, a stark distinction. Uh, um, so... I'm moving on to. Uh, I'm going to lost in the sauce here a little bit now because I do I do actually enjoy talking about uh, uh, language and Irish in general. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, you did actually you mentioned in the interview on Rubshare Radio. Uh, it's a good podcast, only half an hour long. I strongly recommend it. Uh, um, but you do mention the David Mitchell soapbox video where he talks about Scott Scalic. Uh, and he kind of like outlines this very utilitarian argument for it, being like, everyone who speaks Scots Gaelic speaks English. I don't need to learn it, kind of thing. And that, that like, I think ties into a lot of what we're, um, a lot of his attitude as well, because it is this very like English language chauvinism where I've learned this from doing this podcast uh, where we try to cover all of Europe. And I have to learn how to like wrangle Google Translate, translating Swedish, knowing that I can't redo really pronouns correctly and calls everyone a her. And uh, like, I have to, I have to learn how to live with that. But there is this kind of assumption amongst English speakers that all information is available in English. Um, if not, it will be made available shortly. That like nothing ever gets lost in translation. One example that I encountered quite recently was this like thing that broke into English speaking news that like 
oh, French people now consider Macron to be right wing uh, because the narrative in the global stage was he's like the centrist savior. And you go into like the polling in France and French publications of like he was always considered right wing, at least maybe like at best center right versus like far right or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's like this is this is not new information. It's just it wasn't available in English for the longest time. Um, Speaking of Irish, for example, I do remember some of the most sensible debates and discussions about Brexit were happening exclusively in the Irish language, like on Nostradi and Raven Nagoyatata would like talk about their like politics shows, and I remember them being like a little less uh, um, alarmist. I guess was the was the the tone of a lot of their media at the time. Um, they were just kind of going at it from a bit more like brass tacks perspective and talking about the North when everyone in the UK was distracted with Scotland, um, which I think paid off in the end as being like the correct thing to pay attention to. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's I do think there is that kind of like English language chauvinism that. Everything is available in English. Uh, um, so why would you bother with anything else? Except for maybe I don't really know what's going on in China, so maybe learn Chinese. That's like, that's, that's like the, the thing you'd be willing to admit. Um, well, definitely. Like, and I do wonder if it's kind of a monolingual thing. I admittedly don't really know much outside of the Anglosphere in terms of just bad takes on the language question, which is a red flag in and of itself. But like, I do think that like if you are monolingual, you think of language you don't really see language in its full form. You don't realize how slippery language is and how languages kind of like shape your perceptions. And like, I think in the Irish context as well, I don't think we realize the extent to which kind of us speaking English on a daily basis and kind of consuming media in English shapes our media consumption habits and shapes kind of our centers or or how we kind of perceive things. Like again, just from like personal experience, like when I've done political activism, I know a lot of people who would have like very intricate knowledge of like what's going on in the US or what's going on in the UK, but they wouldn't necessarily have that same knowledge of like what's going on and like in six counties of the 26 counties because again like it's very easy just to consume american or english content yeah. by itself and like there's nothing wrong with that i just think that like if you are monolingual and you are solely an english-speaking person in ireland you don't have an inner voice it's all outer voice and it is hard to like work out where you are or place yourself or kind of understand where things are or even just to realize the limitations of things like there's a reason why we know a lot about the US and the UK and why we don't know a lot about the world outside of it. There's a reason why we automatically kind of think of Westminster when we think of politics as opposed to like anything outside of that circle. And there's a reason why that like the ways we perceive ourselves inevitably, even if we are on the left or we are Republican, like mirroring Seamus Dean, like sometimes we just, our identities are just trying not to be English or trying to be English. Like we're kind of stuck. We're in this weird one-sided relationship the whole time where like our perception of ourselves are tied up with like this other country. And it's this weird relationship really, you know? It is a, a, um, it's very strange. You you did kind of remind me of uh, one very terrible thing I saw in the uh, last general election in Ireland. Um, which kind of does remind me of this, like, America subsumes everywhere that speaks English. Uh, um, and that was someone took a photo of their ballot in the 2020 general election of where they wrote in the top Bernie Sanders. Oh, my God. And I was like, okay, fine. I, I understand maybe you want a left, unite, like, unifying figure. I kind of like Bernie Sanders. I'm not going to fault too much, except this ballot was for, like, the Dunleary area, and the first name on the list was Richard Boy Barrett. And it was like, that's kind of like a good alternative if you want someone like Bernie Sanders. It's not like you're in 
It's not like you're in a constituency in Ireland where the only people running is like a hurler who said something racist and three Fine Gael candidates. Like it's, <laughs> you have a people before profit candidate right there. Um, and yeah, it does, it does speak to like, you've been subsumed by American narratives circa 2020 and are not paying attention to what's happening in your own country. Um, which is kind of sad. And I mean, he spoiled his ballot by taking a picture of it or whatever. It didn't matter. But still, like, um, yeah, it was just very uh, absurd. Um, it's, it's pretty cringe. No, it's very cringe. Like, Would it surprise you to learn that I saw that picture because it was cringe? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it Kieran, was. check out this fucking shit. <laughs> yeah, uh, unfortunate. Um, all right, so... Um, I do want other other thing I want to kind of uh, state about English language chauvinism or like you say the monolingual perspective, but I do think there is like a very unique perspective with English, which is um, confront English speakers with the concept that another language could be mutually intelligible. And they really, really resist that idea. It is a dialect. It cannot be another language. They say this for like uh, Jamaican Creole, for Scots, for things like that, because they do not... Um, understand, want to understand this very like normal concept for other uh, language spheres. I think French probably acts the same. I know Spanish has definitely done the whole to Catalan. It's just a dialect thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for Spanish people, when they want to complain, it's uh, it's hip hop Spanish. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. no, no. Like when they want to feel oppressed, Catalan is a language. Yeah. And when they just want to oppress Catalans, it's it's a dialect. dialect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) it's the duality. Of- I love it. I love that just like they try that with like Galician and like Catalan and just like see Basque and there's like, we can't say this. This is fucking insane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, like a, a good example of this is, uh, um, yeah, it was Babish who was like the previous prime minister of the Czech Republic. Terrible person, awful politics, um, <laughs> awful person. But for the entirety of his presidency, he spoke Slovakian. Because he was born in the Slovakia side of Czechoslovakia, and uh, everyone was like, "Yeah, he's just yeah." We all we all understand him, but he is definitely speaking Slovakian. He says like a different word for kiosk than I say, or something like that, uh, uh, and things like that. And yeah, it's 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 just it's fun. It's fun. It's fun that they just don't want to admit that it, if you if you think the Scots Gaelic debates or anger online is something, I implore you to look at Scots debates of like. It has like a different grammar. It split from English in like the 1600s um, kind of shit. Like you can write sentences in Scots that are completely unintelligible to English, and they're just like, nah, nah, it's dialect. Because I've been to Edinburgh once at the Fringe, and it's fine, uh, <laughs> or something along those lines. Um, I do want to move on to something that I feel like I am wholly inequipped to talk about, but you seem equipped to talk about, which was. I believe uh, um, it was a Kenyan writer who was speaking of, like, spiritual subjugation under colonialism and, like, uh, uh, lang- like changing and oppressing languages as, like, a form of spiritual subjugation. Uh, um, I was wondering if you could uh, elucidate our listeners and me, who half remembers the article you wrote. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Not, not, but like, I do recommend everyone reads the book Decolonizing the Mind. Like, for me, I only read it like earlier this year, but it was kind of like this moment where I was like, "Oh, Jesus! I suddenly understand what's going on here. I suddenly kind of have 
I have a framework for like how I perceive things a little bit. And it's kind of really interesting. Like if you look at the author's argument, he basically claims that like languages serve a dual purpose, kind of an internal purpose and like an external purpose. And he argues that kind of like languages serve as a way of transmitting culture and like a way of seeing. And that like, again, like Miriam article, like languages are ways of seeing and to remove a language is to remove a certain way of looking at the world. And something I found really interesting as well in kind of decolonizing the mind is this point that is raised time and time again, that like removing a language creates a certain alienation. You begin to kind of internalize the stereotypes that were used against you and you start to kind of see yourself kind of in those lines. If you look at like Thomas Max Mohn's work in The Broken Harp, which is another book I really recommend, he makes this kind of crank argument a little bit that like Irish people have internalized negative stereotypes and their identity is now based on these stereotypes as opposed to like the culture we actually have where it is like we're all Conor McGregor we're all just drinking that's all we have and that's all we perceive ourselves as and I think it's kind of interesting to kind of think about that like internal aspect of language and the way that kind of languages shape how we view things because again like like just from my personal experience, like I started out writing in English and I had this like existential crisis after a while that like the way that I wrote was very heavily kind of influenced by like text in English and that like my way of seeing things was very kind of shaped by the English language. I didn't realize there was a world beyond, beyond it. I didn't realize there was a world beyond it, even in Ireland. I didn't realize there was a past to draw things from. I didn't realize there were, there were things going on that I could use. And like, I think it's just this kind of, there is that alienation where like you don't think there are things going on. You view yourself as being on the outside. You internalize the stereotypes and you don't realize that like there even is value in your past. Like again, to quote the author, I think it's like, it turns like the past into like, uh, I can't remember his exact wording, but he basically claims that like to lose a language, you don't see any future. You don't see any point in struggle. You just see your past as a wasteland as something you have to kind of get away with, get away from. Sorry. Mm. Um, I do want to say for the listeners who have never seen a picture of me, don't listen to Kieran. I do look like Conor McGregor. I am uh, giant. I do realize. I wear a gold encrusted watch and I occasionally say slurs. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's absolutely fair. I, I have had people kind of like talk about attitudes towards Ireland or like how Ireland kind of views itself in the terms of like the colonized mind. Um, the one that I do remember, not necessarily related to the language, but certainly related to like Ireland's economic capabilities and constantly using excuses to why we are a tax shelter is like, uh, um, you know, continental European countries or America or the UK, whichever is like the golden city on the hill at this period of like Irish economic history is like, those are proper countries. They can do things. They have like a, a free at the point of use healthcare system. America doesn't, you know, <laughs> because they are proper countries. I, I do remember specifically, like in the nineties, like when we had money, uh, that we couldn't uh, uh, build something like that because we are too small. Uh, ignoring that, like Iceland has a free and point of use healthcare system, uh, uh, and there's like six people and twelve sheep on that island, um, and no McDonald's. But the um, yeah, like it, it was definitely the this kind of view of like these are proper countries; they can do things. They can have industries. We have to bend over backwards for Apple or Google or Microsoft or whoever it was at that particular time you're making this argument. Uh, um, you know, Sweden can have IKEA and Denmark can have Carlsberg. We can't have anything like that, ignoring that, like, the Kerry group imply, employs, like, 12 villages worth of people or whatever. Like, it is a, a, a like, a, a, what's the other one? Fife's? 
I, I didn't realize Fife's is an Irish company. Like, I keep telling people, like, we have, like, one of the largest banana companies in the world. And I was like, why does Ireland have one of the largest banana companies in the world? Like, nowhere that makes bananas has one of the largest bananas companies in the world. That's a different conversation I'm not having right now. But, like, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's even the, the, the successes in the capitalist view of things aren't even really shared or talked about. Um, we, like, Apple and Google are proper. They're real. They're big deals. The fact that, like, we've gotten the entire nation of Germany, the economic engine of Europe, addicted to our butter is not worth remarking upon. <laughs> like, we, we can't, like, talk about that as a success on the same level. Um, Isn't that, like, the Catholic spirit, though? <laughs> no, like, honestly, no. Like, yeah, okay. you start, like you, you, you're modest. You don't really want to, you know, um, hype yourself up because, like, that's seen as just... Taste like not good. Uh, so I would say yes to an extent, but the difference is. So I do. I do think like Spain and France kind of do this as well, and Italy do this where they don't talk about their some don't, don't talk about their huge successes like on the globe. But you don't then pull from like the success of another country and say, "Oh, I wish I could be that." There is this kind of like yeah, a Spain wishes they were Germany. Oh, sure. And, <laughs> no, honestly, like we have Germany. I guess because you know Germany was kind of okay after the 2008 crisis and then Spain was really bad. So we're like, no, we need to be like the Germans. And now I live here. I'm like, no, you don't need to Stop be it. like the Germans, please. <laughs> Turn back now. <laughs> yeah. um, but it, it is just kind of very like strange because like, I don't like, yes, I do think there's that the kind of like mentality of like a degree of modesty or shame yeah. maybe yeah. is better description. But like, that doesn't come with the like, oh, but Google is proper. Google is real. Especially if you go into like traditional yeah, yeah. like 1600s, 30 years war. We're not. Google is, <laughs> Google is a Protestant company. We cannot be we cannot like. It's <laughs> a Catholic kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> it's me and the Habsburgs. Sorry to jump in again. Just make sure it's kind of like. <laughs> no, but just like, I think a lot of that perception comes from what I said earlier, that like series of truisms that like don't stand up to any like scrutiny scrutiny we just see time and time again in the media if you look at like the economic crash for example like what was a larger international thing was like portrayed as this uniquely irish phenomenon you know we all partied we all got the loss we all got the run of we lost the run of ourselves yeah. and everything fell apart it was like individualized in this really surreal way and i think a lot of things that ireland faces as a country, to mortgages <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, we were all just got addicted to mortgages. It was that was it. You know, there was no broader or structural forces in play, and like uh, a lot of analysis and like commentary around kind of the Irish state and kind of the way it operates. I feel is this kind of essentialist thing where it's like things are like this. If they will never change, they never change. They were never a result of politics. There's no politics here. It's all inherent. Like even if you look around the conversations on housing, like. There is a reason why like the, the vacant houses are not being filled. It's not an inherent thing. We're not inherently a people lacking in houses. That's not a real thing at all. Like the problem is political and the problem can be changed. But I think we often see in the media, like problems are 
kind of viewed as like innate things to the Irish character. They're just inherent to the country. You can't change it. There's nothing you can do. I think it's very blatant as well if you look at like the, like the discourse around kind of the ways of immigration we have every single recession where like it is seen as like inevitable kind of amongst young people. And a lot of, like even my friends, a lot of people just view Ireland as inherently kind of unaccommodating to young people, which is understandable because things are unaccommodating, but they're unaccommodating due to changeable political things that like we have the power to alter, but like often the media will just portray things as innate. Like Ireland will never be okay for young people. You have to leave. There's no alternative. And I think it's just repeated over and over and over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to, to give context to people who maybe aren't familiar with these kind of like narratives, but like even during the boom years, it was kind of suggested that we leave, but we just come back when we were 30 and had some experience under the belt. And then we could have like middle management jobs rather than entry level jobs or whatever. Uh, and that, that was kind of like the narrative rather than what's happening now, which is we've all left for Australia and probably not coming back because it's a 14 hour flight. Um, <laughs> and other structural reasons, but my God. Um, yeah, so it, it's, it's, ugh, yeah, then I, I can't get into the, the emigration discussion because it will just bum me out as to why I live here. Um, <laughs> I refuse to speak German, I will not. Um, anyway, uh, this moves on to uh, uh, the next part of your article, um, which I can't remember, but you, you gave that, uh, 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 where's my, my mouse gone? You gave that an Irish title, uh, uh Jesus. Um, oh yeah, that was it, yeah, don't, don't speak to it. The, the, the kind of, oh no, wait, no, it was the other section. Uh, the one that says you can't hear me. Or, uh, the other. depressing one, you know? Yeah, yeah, the depressing one. Yeah, let's go on to the depressing chapter now, actually, yeah. <laughs> really you out, you know? <laughs> but no, seriously, the, the kind of, the, the, art, the portion of the article we started listing statistics about what the fuck's happening, and it's not great, because, um, I do, like, I, uh, um, trying to teach myself Irish, like I have been for a very, very long time out, outside of college. Uh, I do have to kind of like, unfortunately, prioritize German now because I have daughter here and stuff. But like, um, I, I do want to like keep up with it and can do it. And like, I do see this kind of like line of propaganda that exists in like Irish language spaces on, online or like Irish, uh, sorry, Irish learning language space, like, not like notes, but like places like Learn Irish, like subreddit or something like that. The kind of stage that the language is growing and that things are going well uh, um, and like nothing to be concerned about. Um, <laughs> but depressing part. Um, one of those things that you do mention uh, before we get into the real depressing statistics is kind of like Irish state and, and other like census uh, uh, people kind of like blurring the lines between L1 and L2 speakers. Um, to kind of say that the language is growing um, because I know people who went to Irish language schools like where everything is taught in Irish and they've already forgotten all of the Irish now that they're a couple of years out of it. Um, they did not come from like Irish speaking households. They're not what you would call like natively Irish speaking. Uh, and then like the natively Irish speaking areas of Ireland referred to as the Gaeltacht. If we say that again in this podcast, that's what that, that's what that means. Um, they're all dying. <laughs> to to various forces, um, much in the same way that a lot of rural areas in uh, kind of like post-industrial uh, uh, Western economies are also kind of like dying. It's just that's where we've stopped all the Irish speakers. So that's kind of a problem. Um, so I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. The the yeah the the we'll get into the 
just talk about it for a bit because there's some points that you want to bring up later that just like fuck me over so bad. Perfect. So if you want, I can start with explaining the census thing a little bit, because again, like, even if you look at the census that was done this year, I can't remember the exact wording for the question on like proficiency in Irish, but it was very vague. It was like, oh, hey, do you speak Irish? How often do you speak Irish? How do you perceive your ability to speak Irish? Which is a very unscientific way to like measure something. And like Irish people are very not confident in themselves. No one is taking the I speak Irish very well thing unless they're full of themselves. But like... Sorry. I mean, I, I do want to say that, like, one of the things that I've learned upon, like, leaving and going to, like, speaking circles outside of Ireland is that a lot of Irish people probably do have a better ability of Irish than they think, that there's, like, more buried in there. But, like, when you live in Ireland, I think there's this thing where you're constantly afraid that you're going to meet the secret whale boy, who will just correct everything you said as you try to speak the language. Uh, there's always one lurking around the corner going to, like, scold you for not knowing the language you should know. Uh, um, but that, that that fear drifts away into into mist and vapor when you live in Germany and no one speaks it. Uh, uh, but, yeah, yeah, so... Um, self-perceptions of how well you can speak the language is, yes, very unscientific. Go on, sorry. No, definitely. And even just mirroring your point, even me as like an Irish speaker who is studying Irish in college, I still get nervous when I'm around people who like in my head, I just view as like a full on whale guard, like a proper fluent speaker. I still get nervous and like, it's completely irrational. Like I feel more comfortable talking to myself and talking to people I know have very little Irish than I do with like fluent or native speakers, which is this insane, like colonized mind thing that I have to work through. We're kind of just getting back to the Every language teacher will tell you that is the best way to learn. Only talk to yourself. Don't be <laughs> Just read Marx's Osquilga over and over until yeah. you have fluency. You know, that works for me. In Irish, as it was intended. <laughs> you know, that is the, that's the sole way I understand politics now. It's going to make me very coherent and non-crank like, you know? <laughs> Famously, no cranks in Trotskyism. I do literally have a collection of Marx's selected works off off camera right now, which I can't show, but like, I just want to flex the listeners very briefly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> even if you did show it to us, they wouldn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But even just returning to the census, like in the history yeah. of like the 26 county state, like whenever they have actually measured the state of the Irish language, particularly in the Gaeltocks, every single time the statistics are just very depressing. So like, in my opinion, they're not doing it because it would expose the rate to which Gaeltock communities are dying off. And like, just for context for listeners, like while there are people who speak Irish as a second language and who do learn it to a high level, like in realistic terms, like the like survival of the language re- like requires communities in which Irish is spoken on a daily basis. And it requires communities in which Irish is kind of a thing that exists beyond the classroom, beyond kind of being a hobby or a thing you do on the side. Like in these communities, Irish is spoken on a daily basis. It is, it is transmitted intergenerationally as well. And that transmission is very important. And like due to just wider political forces in the last like 200, 250 years, roughly, we've seen this like rapid decline of the whale talks. And again, the, there's a very common view visual of the map where like you see all the areas when Shires has spoken like 250 years ago compared to now it is a major decline and even kind of in recent memory like my grandparents are from Clare like there was a whale talk in Clare when they were children which is no longer there now and I think that is notable in and of itself like the language is kind of declining and like again if you are the state you don't want to admit this because if you wanted to actually kind of counter this decline, it would require doing things that would go against kind of like the logic of capitalism. And if you look at the history of the free state, for example, when you look at like the initial Gwaeltoft commission in the 1920s, like 
they went around, they studied the state of the language, they laid out some suggestions of what you could do to save the language. And those suggestions were kind of radical in character. Like, again, one of the ones that was raised was like reallocating land to Irish speakers to ensure that they're able to kind of stay on their land and live. And kind of even just offering free second level education to Irish speakers to promote them and kind of going into teaching. And if you look at like how the state responded to this, they took all the ceremonial things and they took the report, like they allowed it to exist. They allowed it to find those depressing statistics. But because of the nature of the state and the nature of the two states on this island, both are inherently kind of tied to capitalism, both developed in a colonial model and neither are willing to kind of save the language because to do that would threaten the colonial model. It would threaten the interests of capital. It would kind of inconvenience rich people for a little bit. And that's the worst possible thing you can do, you know? Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, it, yeah, no, it's, it, this is the, the, the Irish government's attitude towards Irish, the Irish language has always been one of like, kind of like Instagram wellness and self care of just like, you get a depressing <laughs> report and don't be like, it's emotional labor to then do anything to save the Irish language. <laughs> Just take a day for yourself and, uh, uh, I don't know, get more kids to say some rote lines in primary school about how they need to go to the toilet or, you know, do it on Doris and et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's kind of like, you know, like, you know, in the 80s, they had that really tacky, like, jazz music they play in the background. I think that's kind of like how the free state views the language. Like, it's there. You're not really meant yeah. to listen to it or understand it, but you just appreciate that it's in the background. And it doesn't mean yeah. anyone anything to anyone. And it doesn't exist outside of this, like, sanitized corporate environment, you know? It's, we are, like, the music whale you know? Yeah, it's, it's decoration on the stage. It's like a, it's like a, a signifier to let you know that you're, like, not in Scotland. <laughs> Like, <laughs> you're not in Wales. They kind of could look a little bit similar, but, you know, there's just this in the background to let you know. It's like it's like different color post boxes. You know, you're just, you, you, like, or like uh, more accurately, those things that we did in World War II where we spelled era out in the middle of the, on the hills to make sure the Germans didn't pop on. <laughs> so it's like, we are not Wales. <laughs> but even if you look at, like, the road signs, for example, this is a topic that, like, multiple lecturers of mine have, like, gone on about for ages. So, like, I just kind of have it by, like, second hand. But, like, yeah. even the way they are designed, the Irish on there is largely ceremonial. It's in italics. It's used as the foreign language. It's not there as the thing you instantly see. It's the second thing. And, like, even then, there's this amazing blog where like this guy goes around Dublin just showing the incorrect Irish on road signs. And it's very depressing. It's a bit cranky yeah. as well. But it does show you that like it is this ceremonial thing where it's like you find your Gwilgore in the corner, you do your bare minimum, then you go home and you speak English, you know? Yeah, no, I, I know. I'm, I'm with you on this, Gero, because of the ultimate crank shit, we're not really helping the stereotype or anything. But <laughs> I, did, I did graphic design in college, and that was one of the topics about how they fucked up the road signs by just kind of doing, like you were saying, our podcast is vibes-based. So is the font on the like Irish section of our road signs, because it was just kind of like, they decided, like, I think it was like the capital A is a good example of that, of just like, this isn't actually really in reference to any... Uh, uh, like Shan like traditional Irish script. It just kind of has the vibe of Irish. So we put this in and they measured this. This actually did cause like a 2% increase in traffic accidents because it was oh also, it was also pissing off whale course because they couldn't read it. Either. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's, um, I think the ultimate travesty though, uh, or like the, 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 uh, um, the most absurd extreme of this was something that made the rounds on Irish Twitter and Irish internet was the new sign in the new wing of St. James hospital. I think it was um, where I think it's pointing to like maternity ward. And then underneath it says Irish translation later. 
or something along that like, like Irish translation here written in English and they just like printed that sign and no one noticed the mistake. It's like, yeah, I'm just going to maternity ward Irish translation here. Like that's where that's where my wife is. I have to go there right now. Um, Another thing I really love is like sometimes they'll use like mach- like machine translation services and they'll come out with words that don't actually exist. So you'll have these extended debates where like these Irish speakers are like doing a post-mortem being like, where the fuck did the AI get these words from? Like I'll send you an example of this after the recording because it's like, yeah. I can't remember the exact word, but it, was just, it just invented this word that didn't exist and no one had heard. And like everyone was like, was there just this really obscure word that we didn't know about? Are we all just fake whale gores or did someone just like Google translate this, you know? Yeah, but that, that's again, that's the nervousness of just like, I speak Irish, but I've encountered a new word that Google has invented, and now I'm sad and think I'm not doing it well enough. Um, yeah, I, as someone who trolls the internet via Google Translate to research for this show, you cannot use it for Irish at all. It does not work. It works very well for German. It works well enough for Spanish. It does not work for Irish in any measurable way. There's not enough source material for them to be translating back and forth via a robot. Uh, um, so yeah, don't don't do it. Um, <laughs> you mentioned okay, so you mentioned the kind of like deterioration of the Goyle talks, and that's something that I've known about for a lot when I was younger. Um, even when the first Goyle talk I went to, one of the things that they do uh, in Irish education that is quite effective in the moment is they send kids in summer camp to the Irish-speaking parts of the country to improve their Irish. Um, my parents were relatively impressed that when they picked me up to go for dinner one time in Galway uh, while I was there, I couldn't stop speaking Irish to them because I had just been like trained into it. And even when they were like, Kieran, please speak English. We don't understand you. I would respond with the Irish top owner. Um, I'm sorry. I don't get try to speak English. And it, it is quite good. But one of the first ones that I went to was in the southern half of like the Donegal Gael talks, I guess. And even back then, this would have been like 2002 or so, it was effectively understood that like that's not a real Irish-speaking community anymore. They're able to crack it out and enforce it for when the Gwail Talks, like the summer camp kids come, but then come like uh, uh, September until like March or whatever, or April, they're probably speaking English at home. Uh, um, other things that I noticed back in that day was... Um, a lot of technology and infrastructure had failed them. Um, one kind of weird irony was we weren't able to get television cables out to them uh, um, in the like 2000s and stuff out to like, this is like the far reaches of the country where they still speak Irish. So the only way you could get television back, uh, back in the 2000s was to get Sky Digital, which was, um, which is like an English provided satellite television service that at that time, it's changed now didn't have the Irish-speaking television stations on it, didn't have any of the Irish channels on it. You had to watch, like, BBC, Channel 4 mm-hmm. kind of stuff. You couldn't even get RTE, never mind, like, T.G. Uh, Cahar, the, the Irish-speaking channel. Um, so all the kids were just, like, watching cartoons in English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it has been for a while. Uh, the stat that you pulled in that I don't think you've mentioned is that only 23% of parents in the Gwail Talk are raising their kids uh, in Irish. Um, and that's already in the Gwail Talk. That's in, like, that's that's in the Gwail Talk. That's not even in Ireland. That's not just the Ar- that's not Ireland. Like, I would be, I would, like, if you did all of Ireland, it would probably be higher. And there's, like, yeah. some people genuinely passionate about revitalizing the language who are doing it in, like, the middle of Dublin. Uh, um, but still, like, it... I think in the interview you compared the loss of the Gwail talk as like 
this point of no return. You compare it to climate change, and it, it does kind of feel like if the quail talk's gone, that's like, what if the Greenland ice sheet just like fucks off? That's kind of like the equivalent. <laughs> like the, this is the difference between Irish being comparable to Welsh versus Irish being comparable to like Cornish. It, it's it's not really a revitalized language anymore. It's starting to like veer into revived at best um, because it's not being spoken anywhere. Um, and I just want to interject. I do want to mention this uh, um, concept as quail talks as Disneyland's which is uh, uh, something you kind of, it was a very evocative image you described where uh, um, parts of the Gwail talk, because they're in rural parts of Ireland, parts of Ireland that are actually quite beautiful uh, just to look at, um, they often have a lot of housing purposely left empty because the people who own the housing get more money by treating them as summer homes uh, for people to come on holidays, where uh, Gwail talks are things that are basically kept on life support for the purposes of the, the, the bear lawyers, the, like the English speakers to come along and kind of like feel twee. <laughs> basically. Um, and I kind of wanted to ask a question here, but it's like, is that not effectively what Dingle has already become? Because like, I know people who live in Dingle and they are very angry about the concept of being called Corkadovna, like uh, the, the Dingle Peninsula. You have to call it the English name. Um, that's um, yeah. I just wonder what your what your thoughts on that. Obviously, there's a lot to kind of unpack there, but kind of right. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there. You know, it's a hundred years of just very depressing statistics, you know. Yeah, but we go like, back to the Flysley era. <laughs> <laughs> but like, even if you look like on that point of like tourism, I think there's this amazing article that Padre McGusker did for Socialist Voice last year on the topic. And like, I think that's where I got the get the Gwail Talks as Disneyland lines. So technically credit to him. I, it's okay. hard to plug. I just, um, I interviewed him earlier in the week on like housing in general. And like, we're, we ended up talking about the Gwail Talks stuff a little bit. And he just talked about how like, there's an economic incentive towards tourism. That's a bit of a, it's like it's luring to people because it's easier to make money by having holiday homes in these areas and these holiday homes will stay empty throughout winter and it's easier to have this kind of disneylandification where it is kind of a cultural thing you do for like two weeks and forget about than it is to have actual living communities in these areas and i think this is weird catch 22 where like i understand why people are in guelta communities are drawn towards tourism because there isn't really any alternative this is this this is kind of the thing the government gave them as the backup and like on a practical example of that like if you look at like the, how uh, teachers are trained in ireland like up until the 1960s we had the preparation college colleges which were like based near gwaeltacht areas and were kind of prioritizing native irish speakers to become teachers this kind of annoyed kind of the bureaucracy and kind of the higher ups within kind of the irish education system and within kind of the teachers unions so like in the 60s they made a change where like they were going to close them. They were not going to specifically focus in on native Irish speakers. And instead they would have all primary school teachers to do multiple weeks in the whale talk to basically force tourism, make them go there to get the requirement. And like, again, if it's a stop, it is obviously helpful to communities in the moment, but it means that like for those actually living there, it is very hard to actually live when you are kind of a holiday home, when you are at Disneyland, it is hard to kind of it's settle down. It's hard to kind of build a, 
just build a community realistically. And like, even in my own personal experience, I went to the Donegal Gwail Talk this summer at like, yeah, for the first time at age 19, which is already like surreal in and of itself. But like when I was there, like I was in a Brack Gwail Talk, which is an area in which both languages are spoken, but like English was very clearly in control. And like, I think even us being there was contributing towards that because again, not to like personally attack the people on my course, but like not all of us were fluent. Some of us were speaking English. And like when you were in the pub, English was spoken. That was the default. And like, I do think that like tourism sometimes will have a negative linguistic impact just because for those actually living in the community, it becomes harder to do that. And for those who speak Irish, it becomes harder to do that in turn. And like, again, like to use your metaphor of like Sky TV beaming into these areas, it is like a one-sided relationship that is quite kind of bad for these communities, even though there is the financial incentive. And again, I think it just shows for the need for kind of an approach to language revival that breaks from the logic of capitalism, because there is no way around saving the whale hooked that is profitable. Like that is just not a feasible option. Like there is a need for specific supports. There is a need to make sure that people are able to live in their own communities. There's a need to make sure that housing is available on the basis of need over profit. And like, if we are to save the whale thought, I think you have to break from the profit model. Like it's an inherent thing. And like, let's be realistic. I don't think the government is very look at like, the government is very willing to do that. So instead we get tourism, we get this like, like this contention of the whale talk down into being like a holiday place, like a temporary place you go to and then forget about a very twee kind of spectacle. It's very artificial. And I think while like there's nothing inherently wrong with tourism, I think the whale talk needs to have alternatives. And I think the whale talk needs to be a place where people can actually live as opposed to just kind of being like Dingle, kind of a place you go to and a place that's just perpetually being gentrified, you know? Yeah. Right. Um, I actually just want, before we move on to, uh, to talking a bit more about Catalonia, because um, we are running out of time here, I do want you to very quickly give the story of Sierra Radio Economara, because um, I didn't know this uh, until I heard you describe it, until you read about it in the article, but that's just the fucking dumbest shit I've ever heard. <laughs> like that That's what was required to get um, what is now the Irish language radio station. If you could just give the story there, what happened? Okay, so basically, like, the condensed version is that, like, a bunch of socialists and, like, just country people annoyed the government and just shamed them into forming a radio station by doing their own. But, like, as a longer answer, like, around the 60s and 70s, you see this kind of renewed radicalism amongst Irish speakers, and that manifested in a few groups, one of them being the Wales Civil Rights Movement. And, like, members of this organization, like, one of their main demands was to have a radio station directed at Irish speakers in the Wales for the Wales to kind of help develop kind of the Irish language and kind of the communities within the Gwale thought. And this is something that the state had agreed to do multiple times, but never actually got around to it. It was one of those things where they're like, yeah, in theory, we're cool with this, but actually the technology just says, no, we just can't do it. It's so like a bunch There's of like engineering students. That can't be transmitted over the radio. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, it's just impossible. You know, there's no way we could possibly do this. And then a bunch of like engineering students from the Gwale are like, fuck you, we're just going to do our own one. So they do. And they set it up and like, it's very interesting because it was also influenced by like free, like I think it was a radio free dairy in the North. So there you can see this connection where like people were learning from other political struggles and they're like, we'll do it ourselves. And they did do it themselves and it embarrassed the government to the point where like they actually had to establish Radio Nagoyaltakta. And again, Radio Nagoyaltakta, which is Ireland's Irish language radio station, the main one, 
it's had a major impact on the language. It's changed things a lot. Like even just in very practical terms, it exposed Irish speakers to different dialects. It meant that people could understand one another, which was the thing that people kind of struggled with in the past. And even just in practical terms, like an insane amount of music and folklore got like recorded and archived because of Radio Nagelhutta. And it's very notable that these advances only really came about because of this, this radicalism from Irish speakers. It is notable that like a bunch of socialists like putting nails under the car of the Taoiseach is the only way we kind of get some advances going, you know? And the important thing for everyone to realize is that story is fucking buried. If that's how that happened is definitely not something that I've ever heard mentioned before in my life. I think if you ask most people about like where the Raiding Nagoya come from, I think unless they're like heavily involved in Irish language activism or the station itself, um, they would probably say it's been here as long as the like 26 county republic has been. Like it's it's like it was one of the first stations or like that kind of thing. Like I, there's this kind of perception that it was eternal. Uh, it was as soon as we could do radio, we did it kind of thing. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, no, I absolutely had never heard that story and it's fucking wild. <laughs> um, I just wanted to stress that it's just like something that is not talked about um, as well as it also being a pretty cool story in its own right. Um, so we have a lot of notes here about Catalan. Well, welcome to the podcast of side sick women who speak minority languages. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel very oppressed. Yeah. Right now. Um, no, I mean, basically, I've kind of mentioned some things that have yeah. been going, but I I was doing research for this episode on Katzen, and it also shocked me how little, like, like the percentage were way less than I thought. I thought we were, like, I knew that Katzen is in danger. I always know that Katzen is in danger, mm. but I thought we were doing a bit better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like... But we're not, and it sucks. Like, apparently only 36% of people in Catalonia use Catalan habitually. Yeah. Like, that's not even, like, that's nothing. That's that's very little, and that's yeah. people who speak it at home, uh, who, you know, speak it at school or with friends and stuff like that. Yeah. So, for example, I would be in this 36%. I only talk Catalan when I'm back know. home. Yeah. And then 42 percent of people speak both Catalan and Spanish habitually so it would be more bilingual mm-hmm. uh, but the rest only Spanish yeah and you know we're seven million people in Catalonia yeah and you know the majority speaks only Spanish and it's really sad <laughs> that, that's like yeah there, there's um there is something to be said like the, the stark contrast is uh, as as opposed to the Guayal talk um Catalonia has a major urban center. Mm-hmm. It is a rich part of the country of Spain. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it has universities and banks. And, mm-hmm. like has the whole shebang. And it's still like 36%. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I think kind of like, kind of the problem is that, especially that, that we're rich and that then we're more international. And yeah. Then, you know, like more company, and also you know the good weather and shit like that. Like people really want to move to Barcelona. People love Barcelona, and so you have a lot of Spanish companies setting up headquarters in Barcelona, and that's why when the whole pro independence movement really kicked, like kicked up, 
and they were saying, no, but all the Spanish companies will leave and we're going to be poor. And, yeah, you know, yeah. like that was the main argument, basically, that everyone who was against independence was saying. And mm. a lot of companies did threaten that, like, oh, if we go on with this, we will leave. Um, and yeah, and then also you have a lot of expats. Like, I know I am an expat myself, but yeah, expats in Barcelona are horrible. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I'm gonna, you know. Uma, like, Uma, sorry, sorry. It's pronounced Barcelona. Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be cancelled by a lot of people. <laughs> no, like, in the sense of, I, I, I wrote that in the notes, like, when we're talking about, um, that people only learn languages if you can use it, if, like, you know, to do capitalism and everything else. Experts, basically, that come to Barcelona, every expert that I've met, obviously, there's good experts, but, like, every expert that I've met, they're like, no, why would I learn Catalan? Yeah. There's no use. Nobody speaks it. Only, but it's like, dude, but you live in a place that people speak it in. Like, you know, you literally live here. But then I know why. And then, and sometimes they don't even bother to speak, uh, to learn Spanish. Yeah. Because they're also like, oh, Barcelona is so international. Like, I can just speak English or you know, whatever. I never do that. <laughs> <laughs> Not me. <laughs> no, it's actually woke if you do it to the Germans. Um. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Nobody le- needs to learn Eng- uh, German. No, Catalan is dying. Please learn Catalan. Yeah, learn Catalan in Berlin. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> there is a uh, community. community Excellent. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of curious because, like, one of the things that um, I wonder if this happens in Catalonia as well, but mm-hmm. also struck me in Ireland is like, so I first got really interested in learning Irish um, as an adult outside of like formal education. Um, kind of when I knew I was leaving for Scotland, where I first lived before moving mm-hmm. to Germany. Um, and you can play that into the whole, like, you feel more Irish once you've left kind of bullshit that happens to, like, everyone when they leave their, like, homeland or whatever. Um, but, like, I did get interested before I left, and that's when I learned how expensive it is to learn Irish outside of, like, formal education or even a college. Uh, um, even colleges, I feel like if you're not doing it as a part of a course, it will just give you a discount compared to what's, like, out there in the private, uh, like, uh, space. But, like, it does really feel like a barrier to entry when, like, the recommended Irish self-taught, like, self-taught textbook is about, like, 50 euro for the book. Uh, and that's just to get you to, like, A1. Um, I guess that plays into what you just, you both discussed earlier, that, like, it's ceremonial. It's for the elites. It's, like, they want to keep it as their own Latin, you know? Like, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's equivalent to, like, when you become, like, a 45-year-old guy who works in tech, you suddenly get into, like, modular synthesizers. It's just kind of, like, an expensive <laughs> hobby. <you know? laughs> yeah, now that you have more money than God. I think uh, with Catan, it's completely the opposite. Like, the, the Catan government has free resources right. on their website. And, like, they have... They, they really want people to learn Catan because they're really... Obviously, we're all really scared that it's, it's going to die soon. So there's a lot of free resources. There's even ads on the TV about these resources, like, you know, like, learn Catan, it's fun, <laughs> stuff like that. But they're funded by the government. Yeah. It's everything completely funded by the government. And you have, like, different levels, like, you know, complete beginner um, or, like, you know, you know a few words or you already speak Spanish and stuff because it's also really um, targeted to 
you know, people who come from countries that they don't speak Spanish in, mm-hmm. like, um, or, you know, or African immigrants as well. They, they really want to help them uh, integrate and learn the local language. Yeah. So, so, yeah, it's all, it's all free. That's nice. I wish that was... <laughs> Sorry to make you more depressed. <laughs> yeah, but like that, that's so much better than like this now kind of thing that's... It feels very new to me, but I guess it's kind of present of this like um, Irish language being opposed to diversity thing. There's almost mm. this kind of... Um, this kind of... Okay, I'm going to say it's a straight up racist because yeah, it's, got, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's an argument decided by like native Irish people who can't learn Irish being like, well, obviously foreigners couldn't learn it yeah, if yeah. I can't do it. Yeah, exactly. So, it's like, very condescending as well. It's like, I know yeah, what you guys want and like you're clearly not going to want this thing. And it's like, it doesn't line up with reality at all. Like even from my experience when I was at the Gaeltacht, I was at in the Dutch Gaeltacht, which is already surreal as is, the vibes were off. I was the youngest person there in <laughs> a few decades. Yeah. But like there are a lot of people from just different countries who just come to learn the language. Like people are interested in it and it's quite cynical yeah. to like use these people against their own will being like, yeah, you guys clearly are not capable of learning. You don't want to learn. And it's a very bad view, I think, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's kind of like the whole argument of like the working class people don't have time to read. They don't. No, they're yeah, too stupid to read. Can't do theory. You know, they, they can't do theory. Yeah. It's like no, it just don't don't be so condescending. Like yeah. we're not stupid. Like, immigrants are not fucking stupid. And you know, especially yeah, as you said, it's just racist. It's xenophobic. It's like oh, you're too stupid to learn. I can't. Like, <laughs> I, for the life of me, I can't remember her. I, she's a radio host in Ireland. She's originally from. Nigeria, but she moved here, like moved to Ireland as a child and has fluent Irish is on like, I think Radio Nalitha. I'm not, I don't think it's. Uh, yeah, I think it's Radio Nalitha. I, I can't remember her name. I think it's, I'm sorry, I'm just Google just in case. Yeah, yeah you can probably find it there. But like one of the, one of the points she made, I, I heard her being interviewed about this in English uh, um, about like learning Irish. It's like, I grew up in a household where we're like, we were speaking uh, uh, two to three different like Nigerian languages. Like there was Igbo, there was Yoruba, as well as English. Like, Picking up this fourth language was actually remarkably easy, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, which you know gets to, to if you have to do the whole like capitalist argument because like one thing speaking of the whole Spanish thing, I have a Spanish brother-in-law, and one of the things that he said that I was like, "You're cool," was <laughs> he's from a part he's like he's from Spanish-speaking part of Spain, very far from Basque country, very far from Catalonia, <laughs> the other, the, the other absolute other side. Country. I'm not going to dox my brother-in-law, but still, <laughs> but still, like, um, he he did like just like when we were talking about like the state of the Irish language, he literally just said simply flat out like every child in Sp- in Spain should learn Catalan or Basque, yeah. like regardless like, if they're in Madrid, if they're in Cordoba, if they're in. Uh, uh, Santander or whatever they should just be doing it in school mm-hmm. and, but he comes from the argument of he's like a language teacher who teaches English in Spain and he was just like you can pump so many languages into kids they're <laughs> so receptive of it and it doesn't matter what language it is learning languages is a skill in of itself like if you have three as a kid learning fourth, a fourth one as an adult is going to be remarkably as easy doesn't fucking matter which yeah. one it is exactly. Um, and they are co-official languages, literally. Like yeah. it's it's in the constitution, and you know, and I mean, Basque 
is a bit harder, but kids just learn anything and everything. Like, yeah. Kids are like sponges. Like kids learn anything. Their kids great. <laughs> <laughs> I have one. I teach her all sorts of shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. Like they're so smart. And again, we think that children are way dumber than they actually are, and they're yeah. not at all. But um, yeah. Um, I think this this does lead me to the last section that I want to, to get done very quickly before you go, Kieran, uh, uh, before I have to go and do more <laughs> podcasting. Um, fucking machine over here. I just I just want to be I just want to be on my holiday break starting tomorrow. I just want to be done tomorrow. <laughs> During the holiday. Can you imagine every every recording you're doing today is just on a more increasingly depressing topic? I don't know how we're going to do this one, but. I'm going to be talking about the coup attempt thing that happened in Germany next. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. Uh, that is kind of funny. That, no, that is actually very funny. <laughs> uh, this is far from impressive. Uh, okay, so this kind of gets to the what is to be done question. This is something that like you do kind of refer to uh, um, uh, uh, um, these kind of movements and stuff that's happened primarily in the north in, in the six counties uh, um, and how the like Belfast urban Gwail talk kind of started. And I do think it's very interesting and I encourage people to read the article. We don't have time for it now. The thing I want to talk about now is a lot of a lot of like solutions are floated in the discourse in Ireland. And I'm just kind of curious what you think of any of them as like, are they viable? What we should be doing? Um, I'm going to pitch my first one, uh, which is we need an urban Gwail Tot in Ireland. Um, it needs to be, I think the most thing that makes the most sense is Galway, probably because it's the major urban centre closest to a Gwail uh, um, And there needs to be a McDonald's there. And I want to be able to order from the Irish McDonald's menu. Like, it's all the same stuff. I'm not saying we put coddle on there or whatever the fuck. But like, <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't fly go away anyway. No. That's Dublin shit. But like, I want to be able to order the Big Mac. I want to be able to order the, on Mac more. Like, um, but like, yeah, that, that's my thing. I think if we had the the, the Irish Mac, Mac McDonald's, would solve all our problems. What do you think? Turning to you. <laughs> okay. So again, this is something where I'm a little bit of a crank. This is just my personal perception after like a year yeah. and a half of just thinking way too much on this question. But I think that like in the short term and in the immediate term, like our priority has to be kind of attempts from Irish speakers to organize themselves either around or against the state, because just being realistic, neither state on this island is going to bring us to revival. Like that's not going to happen. I don't think we can really be reliant on them. I think there's a need to kind of look back at that history of struggle. Because again, you mentioned the Shaw's Road Wales Act. Like that is the one area on this island that has shifted to speaking Irish since in the last hundred years, roughly excluding kind of the uh, Gwail Talks established in the Free State. Like, it was one of the few areas that have turned from speaking English to speaking Irish, and it's done so for multiple generations now. And it is literally an attempt from the grassroots, from Irish speakers themselves, to build their own houses, to raise their children through Irish, to do it themselves. They literally built their own school. Like, they set up the first Irish language school in the six counties, like, in a very hostile environment. Because they were able to organise themselves, and because they held that belief, and because they were able to kind of collectively work together, they were able to win things. I think there's value in looking at that and trying to branch it further and kind of attempts from Irish speakers to organise themselves on a political line for the language explicitly and kind of against the interests of kind of capital. And I think, again, we on the left, I think it's very important for us to be involved in that struggle. I think it's important for us to kind of understand these struggles and pay attention to the situation facing the wealth act and kind of, again, be supportive and kind of just understand things. Because again, I think it is 
a very clear part of the struggle against capitalism. I think it's something we should be involved in. And I think that like, there are like, even though the situation is bleak, there are wins that we can realistically get if we work together and organize. And I, I do understand how depressing the situation is, but like the situation is going to be depressing regardless. I think in spite of those figures, we need to be organized. We need to try and fight. We need to kind of do things ourselves and like work towards building things. And like, just kind of very quickly responding to your point on kind of the inaccessibility of resources around Irish. I agree with that. And like, from my personal experience of learning, there was a lot of times that I was like struggling against the lack of resources or my lack of ability to finance resources as opposed to actually struggling with learning the language. And I think there's a need for like something I want to do in the future when I'm not kind of doing a media tour around my articles is just having a guide to learning Irish from like a, anti-capitalist kind of like oh hey here's no bullshit here's the rough way of like acquiring a language because there is a massive time investment to learn any language and like realistically speaking any language revival project will have to take place under socialism or in the struggle towards socialism because again people don't have the time under capitalism for these things and capitalism will never value these things there's a need for us to kind of despite the depressing situation organize ourselves push things do shit like put put tires under the t-shops car you know this is a German yeah. podcast so i can presumably say that but like yeah. there's a need for us to be doing things and kind of taking a stand and i think once we start taking those stands the winds will come even if the situation is kind of bleak at the moment so organize gail talked gail Boris, organize into an organization annex galway and make the mcdonald's there speak irish make the supermax at Irish square speak irish I want to order the Papa John's Australia. We need to deep on their super sub, you know? Yeah, we do. <laughs> I've, 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 I've been, my mind has been decolonized. I don't know how to say a chocolate muffin with ice that's been microwaved with ice cream in the middle of Australia. And I want to know. It's so good. It's at 3 a.m. It's so good. Um, anyway, um, thank you so much, Kieran, for coming on. Uh, we have to wrap up. I would love to pick your brain about this uh, again in the future. Uh, um, and where can people find you and your work? Well, firstly, for the last while, I've been kind of very involved with Rupture, so I'm going to plug that first. I think my article will be coming out on the website shortly. Like, again, it was originally in issue eight of the magazine, but it should be going online soon. And I've also talked on Rupture Radio in the past. I have a few episodes coming up. Like, for example, I'm talking with Patrick McGusker relatively soon, who wrote the article about like the state of Wales-locked housing. And I'm going to plug that first. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, my personal Twitter is at Earfunk, which is the Irish for Postpunk, which is I-A-R-P-H-U-N-C, which is just where I'm at usually and hopefully she'll be going back to writing in the new year hopefully in irish as well but you never know excellent and for anyone who's on the fence about learning irish do it because then wandering around scotland you basically have a magical power where every Scottish person is like why is this place called this place and i'm like i know (laughs) i have a magical power (laughs) i was like why is this bar in Cowsgate called Boo? It's like it's probably the Scots Gaelic word for cow. This place is called Cowgate. Let's just go to the bar now. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks again for coming on. Great article in Rupture Issue 8. Strongly recommend it. It'll be online soon. Uh, Rupture Magazine is very pretty, so I've been told it's still in the post on its way to Germany. <laughs> so, but I've seen pictures. It looks great. <laughs> This is where uh, in reveal I did the layout for that specific issue. So, like, I'm going to flip yeah. through it. Looks really I'm flipping through it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again uh, for having me on as well. I know it's, it's no a lot of fun. Uh, uh, yeah. Take care, everyone.
And uh, uh, just a quick announcement, bonus episodes are back. Uh, the next one that's coming out will be uh, the first episode of Cyberpunk, episode two. Oh, Uma, that, that was very fun. That was very fun. Uma, was very fun. Uma, Uma it Sh- was my first one. So it well. was Uma's first one. Do you remember your character's name? Micaela Tortilla Repartimento. Repartimento, yeah, it makes no sense, but, <laughs> but it does at the same time. All you Spanish know. names are a Spanish food hyphenated with something terrible they did in Latin America. That's what I've decided. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, check that out, patreon.com forward slash Committee, and we will see you next week. Check bye it out. Bye. That was such a dead. <laughs>